This is Take a Second, a weekly Come Follow Me podcast that focuses on finding the Savior in the Old Testament, and then how we might teach it in family or ward settings. I'm Brian Ricks, and Stuart Black is joining me to make sure that we stay on the rails. We are recording the podcast from the Student Lounge at the Pocatello Institute. So thanks for joining us for our lunchtime discussion of this week's Come Follow Me Scripture Block. Uh, welcome to the first uh, episode ever of Take a Second uh, for Come Follow Me. I'm Brian Ricks, and I'm with Stuart Black. And we're here at the Institute at Pocatello. We're both instructors here. And just wanted to take a second uh, each week, go through the upcoming lesson for Come Follow Me, and just discuss some of our favorite verses, phrases, doctrines, and then maybe share some ideas of how, if we were going to teach this, what we might do, whether that's a gospel doctrine setting or a, a small group setting, uh, and, and go through those each week. But by way of introduction, since it's the first episode, uh, I grew up here in southeastern Idaho when uh, got hired to teach, got asked where's the one place I never wanted to go, and I said, please don't send me to Utah Valley, and I spent 18 years in Utah County. So. Um, be careful what you ask for and what you uh, express out loud, I guess. After 18 years, I got asked if I wanted to come back here to Pocatello to teach at the Institute, and I, I said yes. Uh, I think even before they finished extending the invitation. Um, my wife is Jessica. We have seven kids, and we just adopted three dogs, so we now have seven kids and five dogs, which puts us very near the clinically insane <laughs> definition. Um, but... Uh, that's a little bit of my background. Um, I'm, Stuart, I'm Stuart Black. Uh, I was hired uh, um, out of Rexburg. That's where my wigh and I are from, out of the pre-service at Brigham Young University, Idaho. Um, similar to Brother Ricks, I was asked to go start my career teaching down in Utah. I taught there for about a decade. And uh, also kind of similar to Brother Ricks, they asked me to come back, and I said, yes, please. And uh, grateful to be in Idaho. We love we love southeastern Idaho, and it uh, feels like home, and it's a great place. And uh, this institute here at Pocatello is wonderful. It's a great place to associate and, and uh, be with the young people here. So uh, we're grateful to, to teach and to have this opportunity to, um, to be with you. Well, I think as we get going, one of my favorite things about this, and one of the reasons for the, this specific setup as far as having two of us do it, it it's really difficult to go through the scriptures without sharing personal insights. Like, the, you know, things in the scriptures jump out to us often because of our past and because of our stories and our own experiences. So I, I, I anticipate that as we go through the semester that we'll, we'll, get, to, we'll get to know each other and, and, and everybody listening, whether it's through the podcast or through YouTube, you'll get to get to know us a little bit better as well. But And just, just along with that, I think one of the... The things that Elder Uchtdorf just reminded us of a couple of, uh, um, of months ago in a, in a worldwide broadcast was that part of the teaching emphasis, number one, is he said you have to focus on Jesus Christ. And that's, uh, that's one of our hopes and wishes for this is that there's no way we can cover or get through all of the scriptures that are going to be in a Come Follow Me lesson in just a pretty short podcast or YouTube video. But um, hopefully you'll see and feel and understand more of the power of Jesus Christ and, and of his grace in, in just one of the scriptures that we had for this, uh, it was in Psalm 51, verse 13. David says in this psalm, Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. And in a, sometimes big ways and sometimes little ways, that, that applies to all of us, that when we feel and, and understand the scriptures, like Brother Ricks was just talking about, it hits us, and we want to share it. We want to feel it, and we want to express it. 
Um, and sometimes that's by writing down our words, sometimes that's by sharing it and posting it on social media, and other times it's in classroom settings. But when we are touched, we want others to be converted as well. Yeah, I like, and, and we'll get more into these specific verses, but at the at that verse, uh, the then <laughs> references like after you've done all of these things, verses 1 through 12, David is expressing these desires for everything that the Lord will do for him um, on account of his being uh, a sinner and, and having displaced himself out of the presence of God. He says, you know, if you'll do these things for me, then will I teach. And I, I don't think that David is bartering with the Lord. He's not making a deal. I think what he's just, he's, he recognizes that when Christ becomes a part of our lives and when we have experiences with Christ, that's not a, that's not a bartering chip. That's David realizing what happens naturally. Like after I experience Jesus, this is just what I'm going to do. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just a couple verses just in front of that, he says uh, in 11, uh, the second part of that says, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. That once one of the consequences of David's sin is that he realizes I don't have the spirit. And if I can be forgiven, I can have the Spirit, and then I'll continue to share and, and express my belief in the Messiah. Yeah. And some of that is because I, all revelation being those things that we simply can't comprehend or can't express. You know, Nephi saying, man, I wish I was as good at writing as I am at speaking, because when I speak with a, with power, under the power of the Holy Ghost, I can say things that I could never put down with a pen. And I, that's part of what David's saying is, when I get the spirit back, I can then teach the way I taught before. I can now, I can preach. I can, I can express the parts of my soul that really go without a, a way to, to, to put words to them if I don't have the spirit. Yeah, and you, you mentioned the Book of Mormon, and a couple of times in the Book of Mormon, those, those Nephite writers mention how, how bad they are at writing, and the Book of Mormon's incredible. I, I just wish I could go to a Nephite sacrament meeting then and hear their <laughs> hear their talks. If 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 that was if their writing's bad and, and they're like, well, we were bad, but our we could really speak. I bet those those meetings were incredible. Yeah. Well, and I think to to your point about our efforts to to really hone in and and find the Savior in these verses, um, from a teacher's perspective, the way you know way Elder Uchtdorf taught it. If we don't do that, it doesn't really matter what we do. And I find it interesting, you know, you and I didn't sit down and say, hey, let's, let's focus on this. But when we sat down and I glanced at your, your notes, I realized that you've got notes to go over the exact same psalm that I do <laughs> in Psalm 51. And so um, as you jump in there, what, what caught your attention and what, well, I, what did you want to point out? Yeah, I, I wanted to just start and, and uh, maybe a couple of thoughts on verses 1 through 4. Uh, reading them says, have mercy upon me, O God according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me throughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight. Now, I, I'll, I'll pause right there, partway through there. Um, I, I love just uh, a couple of things that, that stuck out to me personally, that uh, in verse 1, David's asking for the Lord to show him mercy according to the Lord's loving kindness. And, and I just thought that God's mercy and his love is so much more than even David can imagine. David doesn't ask for the mercy that he feels like he deserves. He doesn't say, give me this amount of mercy. He just asks the Lord 
give it to me based on your loving kindness because David understands that the Lord's loving kindness is infinite. And he's asking for that infinite amount of, of mercy. And, and I love that idea that he's, he's asking the Lord, you give me exactly what you feel like um, I need according to your love and according to your kindness. And, and that's just a testament to me of, of what the Lord can do for us. I, I also love some of these just power uh, verbs that, the, that David's using here that he's talking about blotting out transgressions, washing me, cleansing me. Uh, in verse 7, he uses the word purge. Um, who uses wash again, that those, those ideas is, that's what the Lord does as, as part of repentance. The Lord blots out transgressions and he washes us clear, thoroughly and he, and he cleanses us with all of those things. And, but our part of this, of, of, of repentance is in verse three, where David says, for I acknowledge my transgressions. The, the saddest part about David's story um, and, and you can see here in, uh, above in the chapter heading and stuff is, is this is after David has messed up with Bathsheba and broken the law of chastity and he's killed Uriah and a lot of other soldiers along with Uriah. David's number one problem in that story is he never acknowledges it. Mm-hmm. He hides it and he keeps trying to say uh, after he sees Bathsheba, he hides it. And after, uh, after they sin, he hides it. And after Uriah, when he tries to get him to come back and be with Bathsheba, he hides it and hides it and hides it. And he never acknowledges it until a year later when Nathan comes, the prophet, and he says, you, thou art the man, you're the guy, that you did all of these things. And then David is saying, okay, I acknowledge it. I, I really feel like one of the biggest things from David here is that he's understanding if he had just acknowledged his sin right at the beginning, then the Lord would have washed him and the Lord would have blotted out that transgression. But he had to get the Lord in, in his life first and he didn't. I've, I've wondered about um, David in that moment, that thou art the man moment. He, he, there's this righteous indignation on the part of David of who in my kingdom would dare to do that? What kind of a... I will kind get of a them. Jerk? Yes. Yeah, and, and, and to pronounce this extremely harsh punishment... And I've wondered about that, that thou art the man moment for David when he comes, he comes face to face with the reality of, of what he's done. And I think sometimes we confuse what we've done with who we are. And, and this idea that acknowledging my, tra- his, his, the point when he acknowledges the transgression isn't the point when he, it's, it's, I guess it's evidence that there's still good in David. For you to recognize it and to feel this way, to feel like you need to be washed and cleansed and purged and, and the, to recognize that you can't hear the joy that you used to points out the fact that you, there's still good there. And I think for a lot of us, sometimes we see our, we see our need to repent as evidence of, of how bad we are when it's really just the opposite. Our acknowledgement that we need to repent is evidence of the goodness in us. Yeah. That's, that's, the, that's the part of God that's still in us, that's crying, that's uncomfortable with the things we've done. And I, I think the very thing that sometimes discourages us should be the thing that fills us with hope. Like, look at what, look, I still, I'm uncomfortable with this. And that's a good thing. Yeah. And, and with that idea of acknowledging, and, and you're saying this, is that acknowledgement isn't the end of this process for David. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the beginning. It's, it's the point where he's understanding, finally, I have to involve the Lord. If, if I don't acknowledge my transgressions, if I don't acknowledge that I have, have problems, then I'm never going to involve the Lord, and, and there is no hope. Uh, 
And, and any time in our lives that we don't involve the Lord, we're without hope. Yeah. And, that, and it, we acknowledge that. That's, that is the, that's the point of almost the entire 49th Psalm is don't trust in the stuff of the world. Don't trust in wealth. Don't trust in honor. Don't trust in all of those things. All of those things end when you die. And, and the things that we want the very most can't be, can't be gained with those things of the world. And, and so the plan of salvation is a plan that is intentionally putting us in situations where I have to give up the idea of doing it on my own. I have to, I have to turn it over to Christ. Um, so I'm fascinated with number with verse verse four, and I'm I, against thee and thee only have I sinned. Um, when you think about David's past, I think there are some people who maybe legitimately could you know they've done certain things that they could say well, ah, it's just me and the Lord. This is between me and the Lord. David's not one of those. No, you've got <laughs> Bathsheba, you've got Uriah, and therefore you've got Uriah's family and all of those that and were it affected. affects David's children. All of the children. You've got the soldiers that died that didn't do that weren't involved with the Bathsheba thing at all. They just they're they're that Joab sends to the yeah, front of the battle. Yeah. They, their problem is that they were with Uriah. Mm -hmm. um, David clearly has sinned, sinned against a lot of people, and his sin has affected lots of people. So what do you think that David is expressing in verse four? I think one of one of the thoughts that I had as I was rereading it is that the the first great commandment that, that Jesus answers, he says, you have to love God. This is the number one thing. And, and I think a lot of us have understood that in our lives that, okay, if I love God, all the other commandments, they hang on this mm -hmm. thing. And, and if I break any commandment, I'm, I'm breaking a God. And I think that's what David is understanding here is that First and foremost, he has sinned against God. It is like he has, uh, he tried with all of those sins and things that he's done. It's the equivalent of doing that to God, as we learn in the Book of Mormon. So that was one of my thoughts that I had is, mm -hmm. this is a direct parallel to Jesus' teaching of the first and great commandment is to love God, the second is to love your neighbor, and David obviously broke those two things. Both. both. So I've wondered if this is David going back to the... Uh the experience he has with Abigail, and, and what I think is one of the toughest doctrines um, for both the transgressor and the victim. This, this idea that when Jesus Christ goes into the Garden of Gethsemane and he pays for our sins, that he literally takes those sins. That it, it's not a figurative thing that he takes his sins, our sins upon himself. And he, in the story of Abigail, Abigail comes and, and says, hey, my husband Nabal, disregard him. Don't even think about him. Um, let this folly be upon me. Let this be, make me accountable. It's like I did it. Yep. And, yes. and by the end of the story with Abigail, she's referring to her transgression. Mm -hmm. Forgive me of my transgression. And there's this, there's this lesson early on in his life where David is, is taught by Abigail that God, when we sin, Christ takes those sins upon us. And then in Alma 7, we learn that he experiences all of those things. So, so Christ is both the transgressor and the victim. And so as a transgressor, one of the things I have to realize is that it's not just the people that I'm affecting, that, that ultimately because of the atonement, I'm doing those things to Christ. And this idea that I've sinned against thee, I, I don't think David is trying to minimize or disregard what's happened to Bathsheba and the trauma she went through or the 
the trauma, you know, the trauma that Uriah's family experienced, especially if it ever got out that that it was a cover-up. Yeah, mm-hmm. I I wonder if this is an acknowledgement of that difficult doctrine that Christ in in all sin because of his atoning sacrifice becomes both the transgressor and the victim and and whichever role we take on if I'm the transgressor then he's the victim what I've done to others I've done to him Um, the Matthew 25 as you've done it on the least of these my brother on both good and bad and I wonder if this is just a a a magnification or a, a reiteration of that doctrine that, and, and really the majesty of kind of the atonement in, its, in and of itself, you know, so, so difficult to comprehend. Uh, and, and everything that it covers. I mean, that was one of the great things that I think Elder Patrick Caron taught this past general conference here in April 2022, where, where as he's, he's, he's talking about specifically about abuse and, and people who are victims who have done that, committed that sin, just how all-encompassing um, the atonement of Jesus Christ is and of his grace and his loving kindness. And, and as David, one of the things that, that you see in the Psalms is these are heartfelt. Yeah. These are people, uh, different Psalm writers who are, who are pouring out their soul. That in this, specifically in 51, David is a heartbroken man. Mm-hmm. And, and in verse, I, I, I couldn't help but think in verse three where he says, my sin is ever before me. He's constantly thinking about it. Think about every day that he sees his wife Bathsheba now. He's thinking about, this is my sin. Or when he's seeing his son Solomon, or when he thinks about their child who died previous to that, mm-hmm. that his sin is constantly in front of him because he has reminders of all of those things. And, and that's the beautiful part of the atonement of Jesus Christ is that we can be forgiven, but one of the hard parts of that is sometimes there's still consequences that we, that we deal with. Yeah. That just because we acknowledge our transgressions doesn't mean that sin is gone. Mm-hmm. that we have to still deal with consequences and other people have to deal with consequences. And that's where the atonement of Jesus Christ is so precious to each and every one of us is that it, it covers those things, the things that we can't fix. There are parts of this story now that David is unable to fix himself, that in the grand scheme and plan of, of our father, that's how it's fixed. And that's that infinite multitude of tender mercies. You remember Elder Scott's talk about long-term consequences? Yes, in and 2013. He uses, and he uses that, uh, the fact that you know the year is amazing. <laughs> but he uses that example of the, the, the Antonifi-Lehi's, not when they're burying their weapons, but when they have to leave their weapons buried and they have to send their sons off who are totally inexperienced. And, and I imagine that if you had grown up in, an, in the home of an Antonifi-Lehi, you didn't even talk about war. Yeah. You didn't practice war. Those kids didn't play war as, you know, growing yep. up. I mean, that's, if they left that buried. Mm-hmm. And that was a past life that never got brought up. And now all of a sudden, these boys are going totally unprepared. And Elder, Elder Scott is going, he, he emphasized, this is one of the long-term consequences. This is the consequences of your earlier life. And, and you see that with David. Um, as you talk about the position that David's sin has placed him in, I'm fascinated with verse 16. David's still an Old Testament Latter-day Saint, or an Old Testament member of the Church, of, of, Jesus the Church Christ of Christ of Old, Saint. Saint, of Old <laughs> Testament Saints. Of Old Saints. Yeah. Um, but he says in verse 16, and this, this to me is a Book of Mormon type verse, yes. for thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in the burnt offering. And then verse 17, this is such a post-Christ teaching 
The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, wilt thou not despise? And, and this idea that like the Book of Mormon saints, David understands the idea that it's not about taking a burnt offering to the tabernacle or to the temple. It, 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 that's just a, that's a vehicle to accomplish the means of the Lord. And, and we can get in the vehicle and not accomplish the means. And uh, I think sometimes as Latter-day Saints, we might think, ah, I wish I had been an Old Testament saint. It'd be so great to just be able to grab my, you know. Checklist, checklist, checklist. Yeah, yes. like grab my little heifer, run up to the thing. Yep. Oh, give her to the, you know, give her to the priest and all right, get to walk away. And, and the thing that I find consistent and what I, you know, consistent with my own experiences with repentance and, and sin is verse 16 is that point when you realize that, look, going to the temple, doing my scripture study, taking the sacrament, those things aren't enough if my heart isn't there. Yeah. Uh, I, had, I had some similar thoughts there too that David is saying, I, I could, I'd sacrifice a million bulls. He's the king. He's wealthy. Yeah. He, he says, I will, I will take every lamb of the kingdom. I will do every Passover. I will do all of these things. And he said, and I still understand it's not enough. It, it doesn't matter how many missions we go on or how much uh, ministering we do or how many sessions we go to the temple and, and perform ordinances for other people. If we don't have Jesus Christ, it's, it doesn't matter. There is, there is absolutely nothing. And, and that idea, and I, that cross-reference, 3 Nephi chapter 9, verse 20, where the Lord is saying, this is the sacrifice now. The law of Moses is done. And, and it was always about having a broken heart and a contrite spirit, but now you really know it. Mm-hmm. And now you've understood what, what I had to go through and now what I'm asking you to do. And, and in terms of, if I was teaching this, I think these are some of the verses you have to focus on, are 16 and 17. Because I think this is the part that's going to lead to that, okay, this applies to me. What, what does this mean for you? And, and some of the questions that I had with this um, just uh, might be this. What, what has helped you make this sacrifice of a broken heart and a contrite spirit? And, and sometimes for us, and, and it, in a class, you, you might not want the specifics of what a student's going to say. Um, but sometimes they make the connection of, when I've done something wrong, my heart has been broken and Jesus has healed it. And, and when we make that connection of, of our past to our present, we understand a broken heart is a great heart because it, it, a, if it's broken, there's an opening then for the Savior to come and plant peace and to plant joy. And so that would be one of the for sure questions I would, I would definitely ask. And I would also just follow it up with this, that how is that sacrifice of a broken heart and, and a, a contrite heart, how does that sacrifice impact your relationship with mm-hmm. the Lord? And, and as they see the healing that comes from that, that none of the people in your classes are going to have to the extent of David uh, types of sins, but they certainly are going to be able to feel the extent of the Savior's multitude of tenderness and, and loving kindness. Yeah, I think you definitely, that is, I don't know that you can teach 51 without f- spending some time there. I, as I've thought about how I would get to 16, I've, I, we've already commented on the, the verbs that David uses and the things, the requests that he makes of the Lord, blot out my transgression, wash me, cleanse me, purge me, make me to hear joy and gladness, hide thy face from my sins, 
blot out again, create in me, renew, cast. I, I think it would be a fant- I think it'd be an awesome conversation to take those those verbs or those requests, everything that David asks the Lord to do, and to look at those requests from three perspectives. Number one, uh, the perspective of David. If David feels like he needs to be washed or cleansed or purged, or if he's saying to the Lord, make me to hear joy again, wh- what do you learn about David in, his, you know, in this condition, pre-repentance condition? And then the next perspective is, what does that tell you about sin? What is the real nature of sin if it leads us to feeling like we need to be washed, purged, blotted out? And then I guess that my third thought is, is that the third perspective that would lead to verse 16 is the fact that David is asking the Lord to do this. What, is this, what do you learn about the Savior Jesus Christ? What do you learn about his abilities to, to fix these issues that sin brings up in our lives over and over and over again? I think the point of it being in here is to say that Christ can wash us. That, cl- that clean feeling can return. Um, those things that, we, that are before our faces all the time, he can blot those out. He can cover them entirely so that not only he doesn't see them, but neither do we. Um, and, I just, and I just think that would be a fascinating conversation. And you could do that, you know, let people pick one of those perspectives and then let them share and, and just... If you're not careful, especially in a gospel doctrine, 50-minute class, I mean, that, that could run away with you. But, but I think it would be a fascinating conversation, even if it just happened in a one-on-one perspective. You know, if I don't have time to discuss it as a whole group, at least give the opportunity for people to take two or three minutes and pick one or two of them and see it from those, those three lenses. Yeah, and, and to understand, as you pointed out, that there is only one. With repentance, there is not enough good things that we can do. There is no other resource. There's nothing else in the world that we can turn to except for Christ. And, and at the heart of, of Psalm 51 is that message that Jesus is the only way. And as you study this individually, as you study it as a class, to, to come away with that doctrine that repentance only comes through Jesus Christ and hope only can come through him because he is that hope of Israel. He is the one who is truly the the true sacrifice that David David needs in his life and that each of us also need in our lives. Awesome. Well, one of the hardest things with YouTube or podcasts or anything else is figuring out a way to end, and I just think on that thing we ought to just end. Sounds great. Thanks. We'll see you in episode two.